friends Alan Dale and Jerry Carew, who grew up just a few streets apart in St. John's East End, have been separated by Canada's geography for three decades. They came together virtually during the pandemic to chat about like-minded interests. Alan lives in PEI and Jerry in Newfoundland. Thriving in remoteness has been a common theme for both of them during the pandemic. Gale Force wins. The podcast is the result. And welcome to another edition of Gale Force Winds. We're pretty excited here today. My name is Alan Dale. With me as always is my good buddy from the east end of St. John's where we are located right now. Actually in my sister's living room in the battery with motor vessel asterisk directly behind me. Good buddy Jerry Crew here with me today. How are you Jerry? Well, I'm fantastic. I've been in this house before and, uh, you know, it's just a pleasure to be here. When you say we're in the East End, we're almost as east as you can go, right? It's not much further. 100% Jerry, we are as pretty much as far east as you can go where we are right now. And for many people that don't know St. John's, these are the houses that are peppered on the rocks as you come in through the narrows uh, to enter into St. John's. So it's a pretty historic little place that we are right now. And what's even cooler about this is our next guest, his dad grew up just across the street from my sister's house here. So there's a real little neat connection. We're certainly excited to have uh, Bill Malone on the conversation with us today. Bill's had an interesting journey and I can't wait to dive into it. So Bill, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Well, uh, thanks guys. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, I, I mean, you, you could not get a better view from where we're <laughs> sitting right now. Yeah. Um, so for me, I, uh, I was born in Bawkins, a uh, little mining town in central Newfoundland. Uh, that's where my mom and dad met. Uh, my dad was playing senior hockey for the Buckins Miners at the time. My mom was a nurse at the hospital there. And uh, not long after they met and got married, uh, I came into the world. And uh, from there, we, uh, my dad had an opportunity to go to Toronto. Uh, like most Newfoundlanders, we eventually make our way to Toronto and then boomerang back to, back to the province. So, uh, you know, I came back to Newfoundland, lived in the East End for a short period of time at Hillview Terrace Apartments. And then when I was about four or five years old, um, my mom and dad decided, hey, let's move to Mount Pearl. So Mount Pearl is essentially where I grew up, went to school. We won't hold that against you. Uh, that's okay. If <laughs> <laughs> anyone who doesn't know, there's always been a little bit of rivalry between St. John's and Mount Pearl, eh, Bill? Well, yeah, absolutely. I, and, and it's funny because, you know, when you and I were talking, Jerry, yeah. about uh, back when we were younger playing hockey and stuff, there's no doubt that our paths crossed on the ice somewhere. Yeah. yeah. So... Uh, but uh, back in that time, uh, there was a denominational school system because right. you had the Roman Catholic system yeah. and, the, and the Avalon Consolidated School Board. So as I was growing up in Mount Pearl, um, of course, I was raised Roman Catholic. But the nearest Roman Catholic school was playing trains and automobiles away for right. me to, to get to school. So all my friends on the street were all going to Morris Academy in Mount Pearl. And, you know, I thought, well, why can't I go to school there? Yeah. So I uh, had a bit of an inside track that my mom's sister, uh, her kids, my cousins were going to that school, so she talked to the principal there, Mr. Ryan at the time, and said, uh, can you let Bill go to school here? <laughs> so uh, sure enough, I ended up in the Avalon Consolidated School Board System going to Mo uh, uh, at Morris Academy and then on to Mount Pearl Central High. So the guys used to tease me. They said I was like a... Uh, a confidential informant, uh, <laughs> Catholic, you know, inside right. the Protestant school system. So I used to get teased about that quite a bit. But uh, but yeah, I, I grew up in Mount Pearl. Uh, played a lot of sports there when I was growing up. Right. Um, and then uh, when I finished high school, um, I got a hockey scholarship to go to St. Francis Xavier oh. in Nova Scotia. 
So uh, that right there tells me if we cross paths, you were probably way up the ice and I was way behind. <laughs> <laughs> and sorry for interrupting you. So, so I, I went off to St. of X and, uh, and uh, got my business degree there and, and thought, it, you know, okay, you know, what are you going to do now? So I thought, you know, do I want to be a lawyer? Do I want to be a stockbroker, financial advisor, that sort of thing? So I decided to go down the financial uh, uh, planner path. And did that for about a year and thought to myself, I'm going to starve if I continue doing this because I'm not very good at it. And I learned a lot. Yeah. Um, so what I decided to do was to apply for the RCMP. And there was a bit of a story behind that as well because as my dad played senior hockey here for St. John's and, and so forth, he, he had a lot of teammates that were RCMP officers. So... You know, we had that influence in our home at different times. You know, guys like George Spracklin would come in, and uh, there was a, a, one gentleman, I believe his name was Dave Shear. Um, anyway, these guys were, you know, I, I looked up to these guys. Right. I was only a little kid at the time. And then uh, John Brocklehurst, who used to be at the airport, um, John used to ask me every time I'd come home from school, so have you got your application to the force in yet? And I said, like, John, leave me alone, right? Like, no, I don't. And so, anyway, he got me thinking about it. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to give it a whirl. But I didn't tell my parents. Yeah. So, <laughs> which, which, uh, which led to an interesting uh, conversation with my mother one day when uh, the RCMP uh, recruiting office, she didn't know they were recruiting at the time, called the house and said, uh, yes, this is Corporal Tom Bennett of the RCMP, and I'd like to speak to Bill Malone, please. And my mother was mortified, right? Because it, she, <laughs> she was didn't like, know. She, no, she didn't know. And, yeah. and she thought, first of all, what did you do? Right? Yeah. Right? Like most mothers <laughs> would, yeah. right? And, and for her, it was like, they never had any troubles with me growing up. And so I pull into the house after working all day. And as I pull in, my mom, who was such a wonderful, wonderful lady, kind, gentle, she's standing on the front doorstep. Hmm. And she's scouring, like she's, she's really ready to go. Oh, she's just ready to, yeah. you know, rip me a new one, right? Yeah, yeah. And I get out of the car, and she looks at me, and she says, "I got a call from the RCMP today." Oh, okay. She said they want to talk to you. I said, "Okay, thanks." And I walked past her, <laughs> and walked in the house, and she's like, "No, nah, that's not good enough." No, <laughs> right? So, you know, spun around, came in behind me. She says, "Why are the RCMP calling you?" Yeah. And I said, well, I said, I applied to join the RCMP. And my mom was a nurse, right? So she's familiar with the first responder community. Yeah, sure. So mom looked at me and she says, why would you do that? And I thought, well, you know, it's something I want to do. But, but you just got a business degree. Why would you want to be a policeman? Right. So anyway, I explained it to her, you know, how it's, you know, looks like a challenging, rewarding job and, right. and all those sorts of things. And uh, you know, initially she was a little bit taken aback, but she was my most ardent supporter after that. And uh, and and oddly enough, you know, later in my RCMP career, uh, when I was working in New Brunswick, she would watch the news, of course, and she'd see all these, you know, the fishing disputes and all yeah. that stuff, and you know, people throwing rocks at the police and stuff like that. And I talked to her on the phone, and she'd say, uh, "Are you involved in that?" And I I said, "Maybe." She said, well, I hope you're standing at the back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, it, it, I, you know, I joined the RCMP back in 1988. Oh, wow. And uh, they uh, asked me if I wanted to learn French. So I said, well, what does that entail? 
and uh, they said, well, you got to take an aptitude test to see if you're capable of learning a second language, and then we're going to send you to Montreal, you live with a French family, and we're going to pay you to learn French. I said, sign me up. So went and did the aptitude test in Halifax. They said, yeah, you can learn a second language. So off I went uh, in October of 1988 to Montreal and uh, spent eight months there and left there functionally bilingual. Wow. And went to depot in Regina and uh, did my police training out there. And uh, when they, you know, the, 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 the most uh, tense time for most recruits is finding out where they're going. Right, because they, I, you know, they know that there's some good places to go right, yeah. and some bad places to go. And one of our troop, uh, our troop counselors said to us, he says, "Boys, if you're going to a place that starts with fort or ends with lake, yeah, you're in trouble." Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so you know, to mean that you know, working in some of those communities was very yeah, challenging sure, and, sure. and that sort of thing. Yeah. So I was fortunate enough that uh, I ended up in northern New Brunswick, in okay. Trackety, Shila, New Brunswick, up in the, uh, the Acadian Peninsula. Right. So now, when I got there, of course, the French I learned in Montreal, the instructors were, you know, Parisian and, and that. Quebecois, yeah. Yeah, and the French uh, they spoke on the Acadian Peninsula didn't even resemble yeah. what I had learned. So that in and of itself was a steep learning curve, but uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time there. Uh, the people were fantastic, right. uh, treated me well, and, and you know, if you made the effort, mm -hmm. they, were, they were more than willing to, to help yeah. out. So I spent some time in New Brunswick, uh, and then uh, after, uh, well, you know, this time of year, we, the anniversaries of 9-11 always yeah. come up, right? right. So on September 11, 2001, I happened to be in northern New Brunswick. Uh, we were dealing with the, the Burnt Church uh, fishing dispute at yeah. the time. And I remember getting up to go on shift and watching the television. And I thought it was a trailer for a movie right. or something, right? Yeah. To see those planes crash into the World, World Trade Center. And little did I know at that time how much that that would change my career and my traje right. trajectory in my career. Wow. Um, so it wasn't long after that that uh, uh, I got seconded to go to Ottawa and we, and we started up a terrorist financing investigative unit up there, which was the first, first time it had ever been developed. And, and from there worked in national security and, okay. and, and different things. And then ultimately ended up um, 10 years later in Afghanistan for a year as part of the Canadian police training mission. Wow, <laughs> what a journey, right? From your mother scowling at you from the step. <laughs> now, now here you are on the cusp of going into, I guess it was Kabul, eh? Mm -hmm. So tell me about that. Tell me about, I mean, ramping up to go in there. What was going through your mind? The world was pretty, when was that, 2006 around there? No, it was 2011 that 2011. we went in there. The world was a bit chaotic around then, yeah. right? especially Afghanistan. What was going through your mind? You're going in there as a police officer, you're ramping up. How did you feel? So uh, there was uh, initial feeling of excitement, um, you know, wanting to help, yeah. that sort of thing. And I, I think it's it, it's a little known story, I think, in Canadian history that there was almost 300 Canadian police officers that served voluntarily in Afghanistan over the course of the of the Afghan mission. And when we arrived there uh, in in uh, the end of May uh, 2011. Uh, it was just just before uh, Prime Minister Harper announced the end of the combat mission. Okay. 
So uh, once that was done in July of that year, uh, we had a number of policing resources that were embedded in the provincial reconstruction team down in Kandahar. And uh, all of those policing resources came north to Kabul. So then we were, our mandate then under the Canadian policing arrangement was we would train the Afghan National Police in leadership and management skills, specialized policing, uh, anti-corruption investigations, that sort of thing, right. community policing, and Ministry of Interior Reform. Um, so that was our focus. So we had people embedded in different areas working with the Afghan National Police. Uh, and, and showing them things that worked for us because right. the challenge of being in that environment, well, there was a, there was a multitude of challenges, uh, you know, aside from the, the extreme violence and all that sort of thing, uh, but illiteracy, corruption, um, the, uh, the, the, the differences between the different ethnic groups, the tribal affiliations, right. all of those sorts of things. Uh, it, it was a very, very challenging environment to work in. And aside from just trying to build the skill sets and the capacity of the Afghan National Police. It was, it, it, it was, uh, it, you were doing that in an environment where you were constantly switched on. Like right. your, uh, your head's on a swivel every time you go outside the yeah. compound. You're always looking and, and, and to, to make sure that you're safe yeah. as, as best you can. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a, a, an extremely challenging environment to work in, but, um, you know, we did, we did some pretty good things there. Right. In my view, we did some pretty good things. I'm, I'm sure there would be people that would, you know, think it was a complete waste of time given the recent events that have happened there. Yeah. But, you know, for that 20-year period that, you know, NATO and the UN uh, were in there in Afghanistan, that provided a security envelope or a protective envelope for women, young girls, right. uh, you know, to, to go to school, to work outside the home, to... Be a be a significant part of society to make a contribution. Um, so you know all of those things were were in place. Mm -hmm. So when when I look at what happened recently in Afghanistan, I you know I kind of hang my hat on, you know we did the best we could while we were there. Yeah. Uh, we I think we did make a difference, albeit small, because measuring progress, you know here in Newfoundland versus in a place like Afghanistan, you know you're moving the you're moving the yardsticks very small distances in Afghanistan and if you move them ahead right. you know a few inches today uh, it was a good day right right so that's that's how you know we we kind of gauged it that's how we 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 worked um, you know seven days a week you know yeah. for for 12 months so uh, but you know as hard as it was it was probably one of the most rewarding things I've ever done in my, in my policing career. Is your, mom, your mom's not still alive, is she? No, no my was mom... She, was she alive while you were over there? Uh, yes. And there's a reason I'm asking that. My brother yeah. served over there, and I know how hard it was on my mom. Just yeah. tell us a little bit about how your mom was feeling. If she was worried there. about the <laughs> getting rocks thrown <laughs> in northern yeah. New Brunswick. Rocks, the rockets. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, here, yeah. here you are now over there. Right? How did she handle that? So it was uh, it was a strain on her, and, and that's mm -hmm. one of the things that, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm a little bit regretful for that because she was... Uh, she would, had suffered from Parkinson's disease, which eventually took her in, in January of 2014. Um, but I remember uh, talking to my mom, and I, and, and, I, and I said to her before I left, I said, look, don't watch the news, which yeah, is exactly, right? yeah. which is like saying, you know, don't think of a pink elephant, right? <laughs> like, that's exactly what you're going to do. 
so she was she was quite worried and you know I, I, I certainly understand that as a parent today if my one of my daughters was in a place like that of course she'd be concerned about right. it but I reassured her that you know we had we were trained we you know we didn't take unnecessary risks we you know yeah. and, and our mandate was very different than from the military role mm. because the military uh, you know a lot of people throughout the course of the Afghan uh, conflict um, you know the news every single day was talking about what the military were doing right. and listen I, I have so many friends in the military yeah. they deserve every accolade and every kudo that comes their way they did some hard yards when, right. when we were there and and lost a lot of people and you know I, I our role in that was those were the folks that provided the security envelope yeah, right. for, to allow us to go yeah. and help try to build the capacity of the Afghan National yeah. Police at the time. I mean, you were training these folks in some pretty complex things. I mean, police work and all the things that you described, that's pretty complex in our society. Yeah. When things are safe and secure around you, it must have been incredibly complex to try to train folks in that. Tell me a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, so the, the training piece of it was, um, there was a number of things which made it a little bit complicated, and, and one was that there was different entities that were set up. So you had NATO training mission Afghanistan, which primarily was run by the, Amer the American military. Then you had the European police mission, which was run by UPOL. Right. Um, so the UPOL training was more geared towards civilian-type training. Okay. The the NTMA or the NATO training mission in Afghanistan, it was overseen by military personnel, and it was more militarized. Okay. So you know, there's there's been numerous papers and books and stuff that have been written. There's one I, I read, you know, a long time ago, and I was actually looking at it before right. coming here. It's called The Police in War, and it's written by David Bailey and, Ro and Robert Perito. And they looked at, uh, in, you know, uh, actions in places like Iraq and Afghanistan, Somalia, uh, Panama, and that, and how uh, how challenging it was for military personnel mm -hmm. to go into places like that. And once the security envelope had been established, then expect them to do right. civilian policing, rule of law stuff when right. they're not trained to do that. Exactly. No more than, you know, I'd be able yeah. to go out and navigate one of these frigates in the 100%. harbor here, right? Yeah. So. That was challenging, and and what made it, and, and and I could see the frustration on some of my my military colleagues' faces in that, you know, they've been given their marching orders, right? right? And an order is an order, and they're going to do their best to carry it out, you know, in in, in a responsible, ethical, moral way. Yeah. Uh, some of that stuff was very challenging for them, and our 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 challenge in that military environment was to have a, uh, a person who would be kind of whispering into the ear of the ISAF commander to, from a policing perspective. Right. Yeah. Don't always be looking at it through the lens of the military. Exactly. Look at it through the lens of you know, civilian policing because interestingly enough, when, when I worked at the, at the Canadian Embassy, there was a gentleman who was working with stability ops for ISAF Joint Command. It was a civilian guy. His name was Michael Dumont. And he did the, the rounds of all of the uh, embassies. Right. And he wanted to know, you know, what are you guys doing? So he came and sat with us and we told him, you know, here's what we're doing and this, that, and the other thing. And he told us an interesting story about him and a three-star uh, U.S. General, uh, Scaparati is his last name. And they went to Russia 
and they they sat with the last general who brought the troops out of Afghanistan in '89. Okay. To get his opinion. Really. Right. To That's get his views. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To get his views on, you know, here's what we're doing. What do you think? Right. And his words to them were, according to Michael, were, "If you do not have a functioning police force when you leave, it will be all for naught." Right. So you look at what's happening wow. now. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the case. That's that's exactly the case. The right. rule of law is is you know so important for a society to function. Right. Because in the absence of that, you have complete anarchy and yeah. tyranny, like we're seeing right now. Hundred percent. It's amazing. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You guys made impact over there. It must have been something to see. I mean, the Canadian police that arrived, they must represent the gold standard in policing. And for those guys that want in and want to help, all volunteers, mm -hmm. as you so rightly point out. Tell me about some of those fellas that you serve with, some men and women in the police force. Tell me about yeah, some Yeah, so it, we had a, it, it, you know, people think it was just an RCMP thing. So the RCMP administer the program nationally. Yeah. But we had police officers from Halifax, we had them from uh, the OPP, Montreal, Toronto, uh, Winnipeg, uh, Saskatoon, Calgary, Vancouver. Just put up their hands one day. Right, yeah, North Bay, we had Thunder Bay, uh, we had people from across the country. And uh, it was nice to get, you know, like policing in a rural community versus you know, policing in a place like Toronto right. are completely different. So all of these different skill sets all come together to form this critical mass. So it was nice that you could bounce all yeah. different ideas off people. But we had some, uh, you know, uh, uh, one guy, uh, Staff Sergeant uh, Steve Sadler, and Steve, he's retired now, a guy in Toronto, amazing guy, one of the funniest guys I've ever met, and he used to write these missives. That would, he was up in Badakshan province, up in Faisabad, right up in the north. They actually border on China right. and uh, so Steve would write these funny stories that would come out of the north right and, <laughs> and talking about you know you can't make this up right, yeah, and right. Th that kind of yeah. genre of writing and uh, they were able to set up community policing programs up there right, right? Uh, we had another uh, uh, lady, uh, a sergeant. But those skills aren't lost, right? So oh, no. you went in, you taught the folks this stuff and notwithstanding what we see on the news and all that there are still people out there that are trained, that understand Absolutely. the way things should be. Those skills are not lost. It might be complicated for them, and that might be an understatement at the moment, but those skills are still there. Mm -hmm. You embedded those skills in those people, so it's just a matter of reigniting them when the opportunity, when they're safe again. Right. Do you know what I mean? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Oh, no, no problem. Yeah. It's just, no, but you're right. You know, our hope is that you, you we, we've planted the seeds. Yeah. yeah. You know, exactly. and, 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 the, and the problem for a lot of those people who want to make a difference yeah. is the systemic corruption. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, 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 the threats that they're living under. You know, it's not only the threat to them, it's the threat to their family and their extended mm. family into the village. Are they bullies running the place? Would you classify them as bullies? Oh, I, I probably couldn't say, you know, <laughs> you know, this is a family show, right? Yeah. So what, what I want to okay, say... We're not but, up uh, HBO, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, bully is an understatement. Like, the, you know, what we're seeing now with the Taliban um, is... Um, it's frightening, and there's a lot of people in Afghanistan who are frightened to death uh, because of their arcane, medieval ways, and you know, see how they treat women. You know, yeah. shutting down schools. You know, 
maternal health and you know all of these sorts of things that are going to suffer right. under a Taliban regime. I mean, when you name um, uh, a guy like Sarajuddin Haqqani as your Minister of the Interior, that guy and his father were roaming the countryside blowing stuff up when I was there. Right. Like these guys are, are, are like, I mean, the worst yeah. of the worst. Right. And now they're running the place. Yeah. So, you know, to think that, you know, we're going to see a kinder, gentler Taliban right. is we're dreaming in technicolor, right? I mean, yeah. that is simply not going to happen. And in my humble opinion, I think that Afghanistan will once again become a haven for terrorists. Mm -hmm. I think that, uh, you know, it, there's, there's so many external factors, like the geopolitical situation right. in that part of the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have Pakistan on one side that's primarily Sunni Muslim. Then you have Iran on the other side that are Shias, and then it—it it, it was like it was like when Brother Rice played against Gonzaga, right? Like you know, you got Brother Rice over here, Gonzaga over here, and then we're all going to meet at Wishing Well Park, right? And they're going to end well. play a game, and then we're all going to go home again, yeah. right? So that's kind of the you know the, the best analogy I can think of is like Bill, they might need you down in the UN there explain the Brother Rice Gonzaga. <laughs> <laughs> we might <myself. laughs> I've never heard Afghanistan described <laughs> in the brother Lisa Gonzaga. You know, I, I think but that's I the first point. time I've said yeah. it. So. But I do take your point. Yeah. I, I do take your point. Bill, you wrote a book about it. Tell me about that. So, uh, after spending 12 months in Afghanistan, uh, I came home in June, early June of 2012. And you can't go to a place and not be affected by it. In you know, yeah. some, t some good, some bad. Um, but I was surprised at how few Canadians actually knew about the policing mission in Afghanistan. So, you know, like, like most people who go on, you know, peacekeeping missions, people normally keep a journal and, mm -hmm. you know, things that happen and that just for posterity, right? You, you want to capture these events in some way so, you know, when you have your grandchildren bouncing on your knee, you can you know, say, you know, back in the day, here's what grandpa did or grandma did and, and that sort of thing. So, I, you know, I taken copious amounts of notes and journaled and all that sort of thing. So I thought when I got back and and seeing that there was this um, ignorance, I guess, right. uh, as to what the Canadian policing mission was all about, I decided, you know what, I'm I'm going to put pen to paper here and, and see what happens. And I was fortunate enough that uh, a local publishing company here, Flanker Press, uh, when I approached them, yeah. And I pitched the story, and and you know uh, the Cranfords that run the business and own the business, um, they were they were excited about it and said, you know what, Bill, yeah, we'd like to we'd like to be a part of that. So um, you know, I I uh, the book came out in August of 2018, and uh, it, you know it was one more book than I thought I'd ever write. Right. Um, you know, one that didn't require crayons, right? right? Anyway, <laughs> so um, anyway, I, uh, I going through that entire process was a bit, you know, cathartic in a way because yeah. you write about things, you look at, say, okay, what do we do right? What do we do wrong? What are some of our successes? Um, some funny stories. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you one funny story. So every Friday, of course, so Friday is a day of prayer, right? So it was kind of a day off for right. you know uh, a lot of people. So we used to go out and play, you know, the most Canadian thing you can do is go out and have a game of ball hockey, right? Yeah. 
So we used to go out on 15th Street in front. So we, you know, there's guards at either end that are, you know, watching constantly. And we're out playing ball hockey on 15th Street out by the Canadian Embassy, and it, there's a UN compound. Because if somebody calls car at that point, it's <laughs> yeah, it's usually like tank, yeah, it's right? You know, a whole different thing. Yeah. But go ahead. <laughs> so, so we're playing, and uh, uh, you know, I, I remember I, I took a slap shot. And one of the A and P guys who was walking by, I hit him right in the cheek at the rear end. A and P, what's that? Uh, Afghan National Police. Oh, okay. So anyway, he's walking. I missed the net. What kind of ball are you using? One With of the orange, orange ones, right? So you know how those sting, right? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I I hit him right in the cheek of the ass. Okay. So anyway, he stopped. And he turned around and he looked at me and he scowled on. So the first time I ever thought I'd get killed playing ball hockey. Right? <laughs> but, but anyway, he was he was good about it. Christ, he got it, it wasn't like, frozen. <laughs> oh, I know, I know, I know. I'd be playing with a jelly ball, you know, if yeah. that was me. But you, know. but you know, like so, you know, even even in uh, you know, in times like that, we had to do things like that and uh, to kind of have some semblance of normalcy. Yeah, right. And and you think back, you know, like you're out there playing ball hockey. Uh, and you know, it could be on the streets of Mount Pearl or the streets of right. St. John. Yeah, I mean, yeah. think about your buddies and all that kind of stuff. A yeah. bit of fun, um, but uh, you know, that was that was the kind of thing. So, the name of the book? It's called Cops and Kabul: right. A Newfoundland Peacekeeper in Afghanistan. Right. And um, I was able to uh, um, uh, uh, with with the book. I, I you know, I, I didn't write it to get rich, right. and Nor will I get rich. Yeah. Uh, but I, I wrote it to have it on the historical record. 100%. And, I, and I've been, tried to encourage a lot of my colleagues who served in Afghanistan and any other peacekeeping missions, right. like, start putting pen to paper. There's yeah. a gap in history there. Yeah. And the experience that our police officers had in Kandahar embedded in the, in the provincial reconstruction team out doing presence patrols in, in a very dangerous part of the country was very different than the experiences that we had yeah. post-combat uh, role. So, you know, I, I, I've, I think I've convinced a couple of guys to, to, to start doing that. But I think it's important, uh, you know, from a Canadian historical yeah. perspective. Um, and, and the goal in writing the book is to give people some insight right. um, as to what we were trying to do there mm -hmm. and, and talk a little bit about Afghanistan because people, you know, watching the news and, you know, Afghan, Afghanistan is so far away. Um, you know how does that really matter and and, and that sort of thing and, and just to let people know that there are a lot of very good hard-working people in Afghanistan right and they are tired they're yeah. tired of the wars they're tired of the I can only imagine yeah. and you know I, I uh, another story I can tell you about when I was there is um, one of the drivers at the embassy a guy by the name of I'll use another name for him given he could still be there yeah. uh, Hamid so Hamid, you know, young guy, 30-ish, um, you know, family, small kids. Uh, we were driving one day, and I said to him, Hamid, I said, what do you think of all this? Like, this is after yeah. getting to know him two or three months in. I said, what do you think about all this, us being here and stuff? Yeah. And, he, and he thought for a minute, and he said, you know what? We know you're here to help us, and we really appreciate that. But he said, all I want, he said, I want to work. I want to provide for my family. Yeah. I want my kids to go to school and get an education, and I want to live in peace. And I thought to myself, you're absolutely no different than any father elsewhere yeah. in the world. Right. No different. We're yeah. more connected than we like to think. Yeah. You know? Yeah, 100%. You're absolutely right. Wow. That, yeah. I'm just blown away by the thoughts of what you've shared with us here. Yeah. Um, what 
happened after Afghanistan? What, where did your policing career take you then? And so, your journey? So after Afghanistan, um, I, uh, I was working in our in RCMP headquarters in Ottawa. And uh, I was working in, uh, I was actually responsible for the Marine and Ports program okay. at the time. So yeah. uh, got to learn a little bit about ships and, yeah. you know, all of, the, the, all of that sort of stuff. Like a good Newfoundlander? Like a good Newfoundlander, <laughs> uh, although I'm terrible at sea. I mean, there's not enough gravel in the world that, yeah. that you can give me right. to do what you guys are going to yeah. do here shortly and go out onto Toronto. Yeah. And, uh, but um, so I worked, I worked in Ottawa for a little while and then family circumstances uh, kind of uh, took over. My mom was ill. Um, I ended up moving back to Newfoundland. Okay. So the last year and a half of my service, I kind of came full circle in that I was, you know, I started here, you know, moved around a little bit, and then ultimately ended up back here. At, and and I ran the uh, Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit, okay. the CFSU that they had here. It's I think it's now uh, since uh, uh, closed down, but. It was half RNC, half RCMP, and our mandate was combating organized crime okay, well. and internet child exploitation in the province of Newfoundland, Labrador. Right. So that was the last job I had. Uh, and then, you know, I, they say you know when your time arrives. Right. So I had 26 years in at the time. I always knew I wouldn't stay the full right. 35 because uh, there was too many other things I wanted to do in right. life. So I decided, you know what, uh, I'll end on a high note. I'm happy. You know, I'm healthy. Right. Uh, I want to move on and do other things, so I, I started working uh, with a risk management company based out of the U.S. Okay. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was a company run by Paul Kenny, your former teammate. Yep. And uh, so I worked with them for a little while. How you doing, Paul? Hopefully you'll watch this. <laughs> oh, I'll send it to him. Yeah. I'll send it to him for sure. But uh, um, so I worked there for a little while, and then uh, I got a contract to work with the uh, United Nations Office of Drugs and Crime doing uh, contract work in Africa. So uh, I was primarily in Namibia helping with wildlife crime, so poaching of elephants, rhinos, all that kind of stuff. But I was helping the police and their, and their, and their, um, their prosecutors to help mount financial investigations because that's where I spent a lot of my time in the RCMP is doing anti-money laundering, that right. sort of thing. So I, uh, I ended up uh, on a contract for a couple of years Got to travel Africa, you know, Madagascar, wow. Botswana, South Africa, Namibia, a uh, bunch of different places. Really enjoyed it. Met some great people. Um, and then while I was working there, uh, I was home, uh, and I had a, had a coffee with a, uh, with a friend, and uh, he asked me, "So, what are you up to these days?" Yeah. And I told him, and he said, "Well, you know, I got this friend that uh, runs this company called Verifin." Right. So he said, you should talk to him. So sure, I'm always open to a conversation. And so I had a, had a conversation with the CEO of Verifin and a couple of their senior people. And no expectations, we yeah. just had a conversation. And, and uh, you know, I went back to Africa later, latter part of that week. And two weeks later, I get an email with a job offer. So <laughs> I've been with Verifin for the last three and a half years. Been a, been a, a great, great company to work for. Uh, treat their people extremely well. Um, it, it's been a joy to work there, and it's so different from the environments that I've worked in before. Right. You know that 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 whole creative spirit, that whole, you know, there's not. It, it's not about you know time in the office. It's about it's about you know work product. Right. Right. A results oriented yeah. work environment, 
and uh, it's it's served the company extremely well. As you know, it was bought out by NASDAQ a yeah. few months ago. Um, so, you know, it's, it goes to show that here in little old Newfoundland, uh, we're quite capable of operating on the world scale. Yeah. Right? Listen, I've heard nothing but good things about Virf, and all I ever hear is good things about Virf, and people love working there, they, they love what they're doing, and, um, and they seem to have a way to attract mm -hmm. top talent as well, you being one of those guys. You must add a lot to the conversation at Virfin because folks that I've met at Virfin, young people being involved in different things, you've had quite a career. You must add quite a, a layer of complexity to the conversations at Virfin, places that you've been. You think that they learn from your experiences as well? Well, well, I hope so. You know, like my, my contribution there is, um, you know, I, I, I look at, um, so they, they, their products and services are cloud-based analytics mm -hmm. for to detect money laundering and fraud and, and financial crime and crime in general uh, with a financial uh, nexus. So you know, I, I'm not coming at it as a from a technical standpoint. I'm not the guy yeah. who's writing the algorithms and the and, and writing the software to make yeah. the, this machine run. I'm I'm looking at it from a, an investigative perspective, and I think. You know, being able to contribute that and give the people the why. Yeah. So, like uh, a psychology of why people may be doing these things. Well, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not a psychologist, no. uh, but you know, I, I I provide the context in that, like, the type of information and analytics that we can provide to financial intelligence units. That is extremely useful for right. law enforcement. I see. The pointy end of the stick that yeah. can go out and catch the bad guys. Right. So you know, I, I've often said, uh, you know, during during meetings and that, that, I only wish when I was in law enforcement we had the analytical horsepower that that uh, Verifin provides right. to be able to do this type of work because it's absolutely amazing. Uh, some of the stuff it, you know the systems do and. And you know, and and I guess that's what Nasdaq saw yeah. in, in in the company yeah. to be able to say like this is a world leader in this field. We want we want them as a part of our family, and and uh, it's been great. And, and and that's fantastic. And my uh, my question uh, is equally about um, I, when I was a young guy in the Navy, and you know, chief would walk in. Guy'd been in the organization for 25, 30 years. We'd always say, hey, chief, tell us a, <laughs> we call them dits in the Navy. Mm -hmm. Tell us a dit, tell us a story. Mm -hmm. And we'd close our books and he'd tell us these great stories and it would provide context into the world that we were going into. It would just give us, it would be light and we'd get to know the person. Do they do that at, uh, at uh, Verifin with you? They must say, Bill, tell us a story. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I think they, you know, everybody likes a good police story, right? right. You know, yeah. like, and so I, I do share some, you know, things that happened, you know, when I was working right. in that area. And uh, I, I'm a good friend of mine, uh, uh, Mike Cabana, who retired as a deputy commissioner from the RCMP a number of years ago. Mike spent a lot of time in that, in, in, in anti-money laundering. And Mike used to joke, he said, there's nothing sweeter than the sound of a tow truck backing up to take a drug trafficker's car or, <laughs> or whatever, right? right. And, and this, that's the kind of things that, right. I, that yeah. I share with them, right. saying, look, what you do makes a difference. Don't just think that you're sitting there and yeah. you're just banging away at the keyboard right. and, and, and it has no relevance. Right. It, nothing could be further from the truth. Right. So, you know, there's a lot of very, very talented, very motivated, uh, brilliant right. people 
that are working in that company and I'm in awe like I, I learned just as much if not right. more from those folks than you know than I could ever pass on to them I mean right, yeah. you know our experiences are very right. different 100%. and 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 one of the things that we're you know we're most proud of down there is that you know there's I, I was talking to our head of HR one of our HR folks you know this is probably you know pre-COVID and we were talking about you know getting personnel and that and and how we've had a number of um, folks international students and that who have ended up staying in Newfoundland after doing their degrees at Memorial yeah. or whatever and becoming employees at Verifin and at last count uh, there was like 46 or 47 different nations represented wow within the company yeah so that's you know it's it's when you walk around the hallways down there it's like walking through the UN right, right. I mean it's just and you think about how the perspectives yeah. that you get the diverse perspectives and the culture yeah. that that brings to yeah. an organization and wow. uh, it, it's it's amazing that's yeah. a whole different spin right oh, yeah, right. I mean what they're adding to the complexity of our society right yeah by bringing those folks here and it says something about Newfoundland too it's not only the work right it's the people around here oh, that embrace newcomers and stuff like that it's a wonderful story well, uh, just change topic a little bit I'm gonna do the quintessential Newfoundland thing now okay. one of my other best friends growing up <laughs> Paul Joy Spent 30 years in the uh, in the force. Right. Spent a lot of time up in Northwest Territories. Two of his twin brothers, Mark and Chris, are also serving now. So Paul's retired from the RCMP. Lives in Prince Albert, and the two boys are there. Does the the joy name uh, mean anything to you? Have you met those guys in your travels? No. The the only joy I remember from back in my youth is uh, Stephen yeah, Joy he's and, and, and Andy, his yeah, dad, right. who coached hockey. Um, but there's the one thing I've noticed about. The military and the RCMP is, you know, for such a small province, yeah. we have a significant representation yeah. in those yeah. organizations. As a matter of fact, yeah. I'll, I'll, just to bring you back to Afghanistan uh, for a second. So, when when we were there, I remember going over to Camp Phoenix, and there was a change of command. The battalion commander, the colonel, and the RSM were were switching out, rotating out, and two new two new guys were coming in. So the RSM, uh, burly guy, real nice fella. Uh, anyway, so I was a deputy commander of the policing contingent, and my boss was with me. So we go over, of course, to you know to meet the new guys. Yeah. And uh, so we're shaking hands, and uh, I said, you know, hi, Bill Malone, and he he shakes my hand. And he says, hi, my name is Ambrose Penton, <laughs> and and I knew. I said, okay, what part of the Rock are you from? Yeah. Central. And no, he said, he said, I, he said, some of the little place you wouldn't know it. Yeah. And I said, well, try me. He said, uh, Poochcove. <laughs> and I said, I said, I know Poochcove. I said, as a matter of fact, I said, my uncle is from Poochcove. I said, John Sullivan. He said, I know your uncle. There you go. Right. Yeah. So that'll tell you, even on the streets yeah. of Kabul. Right. You know, you the, yeah. the the connections and how small the world actually right. is. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny. I think I'm going to tell you this story. We're sailing on these little yags. This is 1985, six. I don't know. Into Anacortes, Washington. I'm the officer cadet who has to take the garbage off. Really important job, right? <laughs> but he comes up on the dock. Any new on board? I swear to God. Here we are in Anacortes, Washington. This guy says that. But anyway. Yeah. yeah. So you're right. Yeah. So, uh, great journey, man. What's on the horizon for you? Like, what's a, what? What are you going to be up to next? I, uh, you know what? That's a that's a great question, Alan. I, uh, you know, I, uh, 
I'm a lot more contemplative now. I think and that comes as you get older, sure does, right? Yeah. And I had a little bit of a health scare a little while ago and it kind of puts things in perspective yeah. about, you know, what's important in life and, and those sorts of things. So, you know, I, I'll continue to make a contribution as best I can with Verifin. Right. Um, you know, I, I really enjoyed the process of writing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know that I'm that good at it, right. but, uh, you know, I'll, uh, I, I may, you know, uh, turn a turn a, a hand at doing that again, uh, because I think there's there's lots of stories right. that that are out there that can be told. Right. So you know, for now, I mean that's that's kind of where I'm looking, and uh, and I hope that uh, you know it's uh, you know I'll have a, uh, an opportunity to to continue doing what I'm doing until I decide you know it's it's time to. Hang up the skates. Hang up the say, skates. Right? Yeah, yeah. Hang up the skates. Bill, we always ask our guests to uh, leave the audience with a small takeaway. Now you're a guy who's had a pretty interesting journey, right? Mm -hmm. um, what would that small piece of advice be to somebody that might be watching? Uh, you know what? Um, I, I said it earlier about you know as we watch television and we see all the things going on around the world and, and that sort of thing. Don't lose sight of how connected we truly are to one another around the world right and you know we only got one planet right and we're all a part of it and i think just being kind and good to each other um for me um that's what's important because you know if we're able to sit down and have civil discourse about issues i was always taught to be hard on the issue not hard on the person right yeah. and i think if we kind of take that approach and be kinder to people um, I think, you know, we'll, we'll be a lot better served. 100%. Jerry, your thoughts? Well, you know, all, uh, many of our guests tell us to live in the moment. Well, I can tell everybody <laughs> that right now, Signal Hill, I can almost see right there. Yeah. Cape Spear is right there. St. John's Harbor is there. Yeah. And Bill Malone is right here. Yeah. <laughs> and I tell you, that it's an uh, inspiration to be sitting with you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Well, another wonderful edition of uh, Gale Force Winds. What an absolute pleasure to be uh, in conversation with Bill Malone and hear about his journey and the impact that he has made and continues to make globally, like truly globally, from 15th Street in Kabul, playing street hockey into Africa, now helping out one of we're really one of Canada's leading uh, financial fraud investigation companies, Verifin. I mean, this is true impact you're making, and we really appreciate it. And the fact you're coming here from Newfoundland, that's pretty impressive. I mean, I, I got to tell you, it's a, it's a real honor to be in conversation with you. I bet those Mounties that were going in out of your house trying to encourage you to join must be pretty proud of themselves right now if they're alive. And I'm sure if they're watching this, they'll, they'll think back, say, maybe I was one of those guys that encouraged them to join. We're sure glad that you joined the force to serve our country, serve our country not only in Canada but also overseas. Uh, I always leave the audience with my own piece of advice, Bill, and, and quite frankly, the world needs more Bill Malone. So thanks for joining Gale Force Winds. Thank you very much, Alan. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in to Gale Force Winds. That's Gale Force Winds, W I N S dot com.